God bless and greetings in the name of Jesus Christ. We're again in on God's behalf, Job's response to Bildad, chapter 9. In Job chapter 9, and then in verse 1 we read, Then Job answered and said, I know it is so of a truth, but how should man be just with God? What will be seen in Job's words is the very attribute that God praised him for, a very deep and profound fear of God, but at the same time, equally great accusation against the Lord. Job loved the Lord, praised the Lord, and honored the Lord, though Job knew little about himself and the self-righteousness that filled his heart. Job also did not know how any man, including himself, could be found just before God. A topic also that must be very directly addressed before we finish this study on the book of Job. There is no question in life more important than this one to a godly man. Verse 3 now. If he, in reference to man or Job, will contend with him God, he cannot answer him one in a thousand. Barnes on verse 3. The word thousand here is used to denote the largest number or all. A man who could not answer for one charge brought against him out of a thousand, must be held guilty. And the expression here is equivalent to saying that he could not answer him at all. It may also be implied that God has many charges against man. His sins are to be reckoned by thousands. They are as numerous as his years, his months, his weeks, his days, his hours, his moments. Numerous as his privileges, his deeds, and his thoughts. For not one of those sins can he answer. He can give no satisfactory account before an impartial tribunal for any of them. If so, how deeply guilty is man before God? How glorious that plan of justification by which he can be freed from his long list of offenses and treated as though he had not sinned, end quote. If a man is sincere and does not try and deceive himself, then he knows whatever sin God charges him with, it will prove impossible to mount an adequate defense. Hence, though men may continue to justify themselves to themselves, before God they quickly realize that all is vain. This will prove itself demonstrably true for Christians once the Holy Spirit convicts them of sin. As every true son of God knows, that if God brings charges against him, then he has no real defense to dispute them. This is the internal impact that the Holy Spirit of God has on men, who themselves inwardly know that not even the slightest sin can be justified before God. Romans chapter 3, verse 19. Now we know that whatsoever things the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Job 4a, he is wise in heart and mighty in strength. God's glory lies in his infinite wisdom and superior strength. None, even fallen angelic beings, are wiser than God nor is there any other power in creation able to overcome the Lord. Teaching us that if God is with a man, then it matters not what other powers are against him. 
Romans 8, 31. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? The power and wisdom of God proving itself more than sufficient to lift his people above any and all adversity. There is no match for the Lord, and if God chooses to join himself to either an individual or a people, then certain victory will follow. For us to maintain confidence, then we should look towards God's strength and not our own weaknesses. Matthew Henry on Job 9.4 When Job mentions the wisdom and power of God, he forgets his complaints. End quote. 9.4b now. Who hath hardened himself against him, again in reference to God, and hath prospered. Job, though he was not aware of how to be just before God, was aware that hardening himself against the Lord was not the answer. Simply because there are none, not even one, who have ever hardened themselves against God and won. Proverbs 28, 14. Happy is the man that feareth always, but he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief. To harden one's heart is to make oneself insensible to sin. It is to close the ears so that truth can no longer be heard. The result of this shall always be calamity and further brokenness. Resisting the Lord, bringing only tragedy to those foolish enough to oppose God's will. Pharaoh proved this, but he is just one of many who have suffered the awful consequences of hardening the heart against the Lord. The religious leaders in Christ's day also hardened themselves against Christ and as a result, crucified the very one sent to save them. Bent on rebellion, a man with a hard heart will shut out all other voices, especially God's, to do his own self-will. Teaching us also that the base of all hardening of the heart is a man or woman's stubbornness to do their own will. Jeremiah eighteen twelve, And they said, There is no hope, but we will walk after our own devices, and we will every one do the imagination of his evil heart. Verse 5 now, Job. Which removeth the mountains, and they know not. Which overturneth them in his anger, again in reference to God. Which shaketh the earth out of her place, and the pillars thereof tremble. Barnes on verse 5. Which removeth the mountains, in order to show how vain it was to contend with God, Job refers to some exhibitions of his power and greatness. The removal of the mountains here denotes the changes which occur in earthquakes and other violent convulsions of nature. This illustration of the power of God is often referred to in the scriptures, which overturneth them in his anger, as if he were enraged, there could scarcely be any more terrific exhibition of the wrath of God than the sudden and tremendous violence of an earthquake, end quote. So great is the Lord's power, it is revealed in Scripture that at the day of the Lord, the earth shall be dissolved with a fervent heat, 2 Peter 3.10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. If men truly knew God's power 
and his supernatural and spiritual ability to transform even the earth, then they would confess themselves ignorant and foolish to rebel against any of his sovereignty. Barnes on 2 Peter 3.10. Water, in its component parts, is inflammable in a high degree. And even the diamond has been shown to be combustible. End quote. Verse 7 now. Which commandeth the sun, and it riseth not, and sealeth up the stars, which alone spreadeth out the heavens, and treadeth upon the waves of the sea. Though natural laws have dominion over humanity, they can easily be set aside or even changed by God. The Lord made both heaven and earth, and as such, both are under His complete control. It is amazing and astounding that the God who called us to be His sons has such magnificent power in the universe that the one His children affectionately call Abba Father has such awesome power over all things in the physical and material world. We cannot also truthfully say that we know God if we as yet have not been enlightened to His power. For who can really know the Lord if he does not really believe in God's power to assist him and come to his aid in life? Job 42.5 I have heard of thee by the hearing of thy ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Now verse 9 of Job chapter 9 which maketh Archerus, Orion, and Pleiades in the chambers of the south. Archerus, Orion, and Pleiades in the chambers of the south. These he names as stars or constellations of greatest note and eminency. For they are both in Scripture and other authors, and as such as have or are thought to have had a special influence in raising storms and tempests. But under them lie seems to comprehend all the stars which as they were created by God, so are under his government. Archuus is a northern constellation near that called the Bear, which riseth to us about the beginning of September, and by its rising produceth, as Pliny affirms, horrible storms and tempests. Orion is a more southerly constellation that arises to us in December and is noted by astronomers for raising fearful winds and tempests, both by sea and land. The Pleiades is a constellation not far from Orion, and near that called the Bull, which we call the Seven Stars. To us it riseth at the beginning of spring, and by its rising causeth rains and tempests, and therefore is unwelcome to mariners at sea. By the chambers, or inmost secret chambers, the word signifies, of the south. He seems to understand those stars and constellations which are towards the southern pole, which are fitly called inward chambers, because they are for the most part hid and shut up, as chambers commonly are, from these parts of the world, and do not rise or appear to us till the beginning of summer, when they also raise southerly winds and tempests, as astronomers observe, end quote. Much has been lost in the study of the stars and how they even foretold of the coming of Christ. It also seems that the more natural and artificial light increases in the earth, the more men are removed from celestial lights that reveal the glory of God. By men also continually looking at what they have done, 
the Lord and His glory is forgotten. The artificial light of the earth, deceiving men to not pursue the eternal light of God. It is a good thing that men are attracted to light, but a bad thing that they can be so easily deceived as to what is divine light. Verse 10 now of Job 9. Which doeth great things in reference to God, past finding out, yea, and wonders without number. Other Bible translations give us a better sense of this passage. The NIV has it as, He performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. The NLT, He does great things too marvelous to understand. He performs countless miracles. The NASB, It is He who does great things, unfathomable, and works without number. The Amplified, who does great things beyond understanding, unfathomable, yea, marvelous and wondrous things without number. Whenever God truly moves, men are astonished by it. This is because both the ability and power of God are beyond human comprehension. So that even when men observe God's miraculous power, it escapes them how it could be possible. The mind of man, therefore, cannot fathom nor even begin to grasp on its own the magnitude of God's power. Hence, whenever God displays the majesty which is alone His, men will become dumbstruck. Verse 11 now. Lo, he goeth by me. And this is Job making again reference to God. Lo, he goeth by me, and I see him not. He passeth on also, but I perceive him not. Here Job confesses how blind he is to God's movements in his life. He knows God exists, but he cannot see God's face, nor perceive what God is working out for him, whether it be blessings or as at this time in his life, the Lord allowing things to be removed from him. It was also blindness that caused Job to unrighteously make false claims against the Lord. For unbeknownst to Job, God was working silently and quietly to bring about the good that he had ultimately purposed for Job's life. Benson on verse 11. Lo, he goeth by me, or besides, or before me, in my presence. That is, he worketh by his providence in ways of mercy or judgment. And I see him not. I see the effects but I cannot understand the causes or grounds of any of his actions, for they are incomprehensible to me or any other man. For though Job speaks only in his own person, yet he means to affirm it of all men, that such is the weakness of their understandings that they cannot search out God's counsels or ways. The operations of second causes are commonly obvious to our senses, but though God's works by those causes, we see him not. Nor can our finite minds fathom his counsels, apprehend his motions, or comprehend the measures he takes. He passes on also. He goeth from place to place, from one action to another, but I perceive him not. He passes and acts invisibly and undiscerned, end quote. All men are completely blind, to not only God's ways, but even the presence of God's person without the Lord revealing Himself. God is spirit, and as such, He will remain invisible unless or until 
He chooses to reveal Himself to men. He cannot be perceived by anyone except because of grace He shows Himself. God's true essence then, should He so desire to become visible to men, will be revealed by God opening up the inward conscience of a man. To the heart will God's Spirit make God known. It is also the voice of God that awakens us to the call of God. Hence, when the invisible God speaks to men's hearts, it is His believed word that causes them to stand up and respond to God's call. Ezekiel 2.2 And the Spirit entered into me when He spake unto me, and set me upon my feet, that I heard him that spake unto me. By God's Spirit, therefore, men are stood up and made to hear God's voice, and given the strength to respond to their spiritual duty. Thus God's voice speaks to the sinner, awakening him to God's presence, and compels him to return to God. God starting everything that He wants to do for men, with His spoken word speaking to men's hearts, whereby through it His Spirit then enters and prompts them to obey His will. It is a beautiful thing in both Scripture and life when God speaks to man and through divine communication stirs them to do His will and carry out His commands. Job 9.12 Behold, and this is again Job talking about God, He taketh away who can hinder Him. Who will say unto him, What doest thou? Barnes on this verse. Behold, he taketh away property, friends, or life. Who can hinder him? Margin, turn him away. Or rather, who shall cause him to restore? That is, who can bring back what he takes away? He is so mighty that what he removes, it is impossible for us to recover. Who will say unto him, What dost thou? A similar expression occurs in Daniel 4.35. The meaning is plain. God has a right to remove anything which we possess. Our friends, property, health, and lives are his gift, and he has a right to them all. When he takes them away, he is but taking that which is his own, and which has been lent to us for a little time, and which he has a right to remove when it seems good to him. This truth Job fully admits, and in the calm contemplation of all his losses and his sorrows, he acknowledges that God had a right to do as he had done. End quote. God has both right and power to exercise his will among men. Since this is true concerning the highest and most protected ranks of men, it is likewise true with all men lower. As Job had been assaulted by Satan, but it was God who had allowed it. Job also would later be blessed because God willed that he should be. In truth, every event in Job's life, whether Job or his companions truly knew it or not, was according to God's will. None could stop the Lord's will from being enforced, and none could change its desired outcome. If we do not accept this truth, then we shall forever play the victim which does nothing to increase faith in God's right to both reign and overrule all. True faith accepts God's will and perhaps its necessary hardships with the settled belief that if God would have desired it otherwise, it would have been so. There is great comfort in this, though unbelievers may reject accepting it. 
In reality, there are also not two great forces in the world, but actually only one, and this power is God. Without this righteous belief in God's right and power to either grant favor or take it away, then all is left to chance and randomness. Thus, if either happenstance or the devil rules the world, then no man can comfortably view himself as safe at any time. But if all is according to God's will and God's perfect plan and or justice, then we need not fear the complexity of earthly existence. Through this knowledge, all fear of the devil should be replaced with the comforting understanding that even the devil's movements are restricted by a much higher governor. We are not, therefore, sheep prepared for the slaughter, but because of God's presence with us, more than conquerors through him that loved us. Romans 8, 36. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long, We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter, nay or no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Job was never a victim overcome with tragedy beyond God's control, but rather a God-fearing man who, though under severe trial purpose by God, was brought through it to ultimately see God's good end for his life. Verse 13 now of Job. If God will not withdraw his anger, the proud helpers do stoop under him. Barnes on this verse. So Dr. Good renders it, the supporters or the supports of the proud. The meaning is probably that all those things which contribute to the support of pride or all those persons who are allied together to maintain the dominion of pride on the earth must sink under the wrath of God, end quote. Verse 14. How much less shall I answer him and choose out my words to reason with him? This teaches us that a man can inwardly believe himself to be righteous, yet also know that the case he would present to the Lord is not a strong one. Hence, just because men will not present their case to the Lord and do not possess either the words or arguments to help them succeed, This does not mean that they will not think that God has wronged them and that they are themselves innocent. Verse 15 now. Whom, though I were righteous, yet would I not answer, but I would make supplication to my judge. Matthew Henry on this. Job is still righteous in his own eyes. And this answer, though it sets forth the power and majesty of God, implies that the question between the afflicted and the Lord of Providence is a question of might and not of right. And we begin to discover the evil fruits of pride and of a self-righteous spirit. Job begins to manifest a disposition to condemn God, that he may justify himself, for which he is afterwards reproved, end quote. Many a man has maintained a stubborn belief in internal righteousness, with quietness, not having the courage to bring his case to God, but still self-righteously believing himself innocent before God. This teaches us that the self-righteous do not have to speak to reveal their true inward feelings. As silence can be as much a sign of a man justifying himself as outward words are. Silence, therefore, does not prove a man humble, but sometimes completely the opposite. 
As no man is so stubborn, who though he believes himself righteous, yet still lacks the courage to bring his case into the open, whereby it may be impartially judged by either God or man. Verse 16 now. If I had called, again Job making reference to God, and he had answered me, yet would I not believe that he had hearkened unto my voice. Barnes on this. If I had called and he had answered me, it is remarked by Schultens that the expression in these verses are all taken from courts of justice. If so, the meaning is that even if Job should call the Almighty to a judicial action and he should respond to him and consent to submit the great question about his innocence and about the justice of the divine dealings with him to trial, yet that such was the distance between God and him that he could not hope successfully to contend with him in the argument. He would, therefore, prostrate himself in a suppliant manner and implore his mercy and compassion, submitting to him as having all power and as being a just and righteous sovereign. Would I not believe? I cannot believe that he would enter into my complaint. He deals with me in a manner so severe. He acts towards me so much as a sovereign that I have no reason to suppose that he would not continue to act toward me in the same way still, end quote. It is remarkable that men know their own lack of faith or trust in God, that even if God would hear their prayers, still they would not believe if he responded. When men also are faced with tragedy and believe it to be God's doing, they lose confidence that their voice will be heard by God. Feeling completely removed from God's presence, they will often refuse to believe God hears their prayers. Yet this is not the truth of life, 1 John 5:14, And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. It is also an established truth that belief on the Son of God gives a man confidence that his prayers will be heard before God. 1 John 5.14, the sense is that one of the effects of believing on the Lord Jesus, and that's in reference to 1 John 5.13, is that we have the assurance that our prayers will be answered, end quote. Verse 17 of Job now, for he breaketh me with a tempest and multiplieth my wounds without cause. Job believes that the storms that overwhelmed his life and brought tragedy to it were without divine cause or reason. That God had acted arbitrarily in his life without proper justification or through a system of judicial law. Job therefore thought God to be an autocrat who had used his power not through justice but because of a whim. Skeptics of the Lord hold this same improper belief that God is not ruled by strict judicial fairness but rather by some sort of temporal emotionalism. As if man is a pawn and God delights in playing whatever game with him he desires. Yet none of this foolishness is evidence in Scripture, but rather in it we learn that God has a plan and purpose for everything. Plans also that are carefully laid out to accomplish his own will. Jeremiah 29:11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, 
to give you an expected end. Those also who are God's workmanship and have been created in Christ Jesus have a path of good works that God has aforetime prepared that they should walk in. So that not only does the Lord have a plan for the saints, but also the lives they will ultimately live in declaring his name. In God's kingdom, and for those called to it, all is according to divine plan. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. According as he hath chosen us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his own will. Let us also maintain the godly confidence that since it was God who began a good work in us, he also shall complete it. Similar words of encouragement were given to Solomon by David, his father, when Solomon was commissioned to build the temple, that Solomon should not fear simply because God will remain with him until the work was finished. 1 Chronicles 28, 20. And David said to Solomon, his son, Be strong and of a good courage, and do it. Fear not, nor be dismayed. For the Lord God, even my God, will be with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee, until thou hast finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. Verse 18 of Job now, chapter 9. He will not suffer me to take my breath, but filleth me with bitterness. God was to blame, according to Job, as the torrents of calamity around him would not even allow him to catch his breath. Job's true belief then was that God was a sinner and Job just a helpless victim. The fault was God's and Job could see no justifiable reason why God was dealing so unfairly with him. Verse 19 now. If I speak of strength, lo, he is strong. And if of judgment, who shall set me at a time to plead? Not only had God afflicted Job, Job reasons, but also God had been unfair in not allowing him to plead his case. Again, according to Job, the Lord had produced his misery, and then to compound the injustice, he had not even given Job a chance to stand trial and defend himself. According to Job, God had wronged him and was continuing to do so by withholding Job the opportunity to present a fair defense. Verse 20 now. If I justify myself, mine own mouth shall condemn me. If I say I am perfect, it shall also prove me perverse. When a man views himself as a victim, he will view even his own sinful condition as a reason for victimization. Job's belief was, not only could he not defend himself against God, but also felt a victim of even his own conscience. It is here that we can see why the Lord when ultimately reproving Job, demanded that he gird up his loins like a man and stand before the Lord. This because not until men stand and are prepared to give an account of their lives can God deliver them, teaching us that if men remain sheepish in heart, they cannot be saved by God. It is also remarkable that men can view themselves as both innocent and guilty, yet be unaware of the contradiction of beliefs.
verse 21. Though I were perfect, yet would I not know my soul, I would despise my life. Barnes on this verse. Yet would I not know my soul, or I could not know my soul. If I should advance such a claim, it must be from my ignorance of myself. Is not this true of all the claims to perfection which have ever been set up by man? Do they not demonstrate that he is ignorant of his own nature and character? So clear does this seem to me that I have no doubt that Job expressed more than 3,000 years ago what will be found true to the end of time, that if a man advances the claim to absolute perfection, it is conclusive proof that he does not know his own heart. A superficial view of ourselves, mingled with pride and vanity, may lead us to think that we are wholly free from sin, end quote. Verse 22 now. This is one thing, therefore I said it. He destroyeth the perfect and the wicked. And now verse 23. If the scourge slay suddenly, he will laugh at the trial of the innocent. The harshness of Job's words show us the utter lack of soundness in his mind. There is no faith in the Lord here, but only rash and harsh judgments. Such is the case with an afflicted man, as he will often easily and harshly blame God in order to maintain his internal belief that he is himself innocent and righteous. Job 48, the Lord speaking to Job, Wilt thou also disannul my judgment? Wilt thou condemn me that thou mayest be righteous? So great then is a man's desire to be righteous in his own eyes that he will condemn God to remain so. If men do not think themselves corrupt in any other way, they should be able to see themselves so here. To think that God would laugh at the plight, calamity, and death of the innocent is an absurdity. God is therefore viewed as being evil by those who view themselves as innocent. For none will lay stronger claims against God than those who believe themselves pure in their own eyes. Hence the great accusers of the Lord in the earth are those who think that they walk pure upon it, teaching us also that human self-righteousness mars any true understanding of God. Verse 24 now. The earth is given into the hand of the wicked. He covereth the faces of the judges thereof. If not, where and who is he? Job further blames God for the earth being ruled by the wicked. This is a similar argument that men make today, that if God is good, how can evil men be given reign? Yet what is always lost in the equation is the role men's sin play in their reaping as they have sown. As corrupt men will have as fruit of their own lives corrupt rulers and representatives of them. When men then leave the Lord, they receive as their fruit leaders just like themselves. As corrupt men will have as fruit of their own lives corrupt rulers and representatives of them. When then men leave the Lord, they receive as their fruit leaders just like them. Nebuchadnezzar is proof of this. For it was Israel's sin that initiated Nebuchadnezzar's reign over them. Verse 25 now. Now my days are swifter than a post. They flee away. They see no good. They are passed away as the swift ships. 
as the eagle that hasteneth to the prey. Job, aware that his days are quickly passing before him, can see no good awaiting for him in the future. This was the reason for his hoping to die. Hence, Job presumptuously believed that whatever good he had felt in his life was behind him. Despair and unbelief can cause this emotion, but it does not mean that it will be proven true. Because of God's mercies, there is always hope for a better tomorrow. Lamentations 3.22 It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. It is also not through our own strength or ability to control things in the future that gives us hope for tomorrow. Rather, it is because of God's mercies, renewed every day. With each day, God provides for His people new mercy. Hence, just as the sun rises in the morning, so also does the mercy of God accompany it. Verse 27 now. If I say, again Job speaking, I will forget my complaint. I will leave off of my heaviness and comfort myself. Men on their own, are unable to heal themselves of heaviness of heart. For the heart to be lifted and comforted, it will take God to do it. Psalm uh, 147.3 He healeth the broken in the heart and bindeth up their wounds. It would be the Lord alone who would later turn Job's captivity and by this action restore joy to his soul. Verse 28 now. I am afraid of all my sorrows, I know that thou wilt not hold me innocent. Job knew that forgiveness was the key to his deliverance, but lacked any confidence that God would provide this for him, teaching us that even self-righteous men know that for suffering to cease, then forgiveness has to be granted. In the end, then, Job was at least partially aware that the Lord must pardon him and proclaim him innocent, simply because personal claims of innocence were doing nothing to remove his suffering. Verse 29 now. If I be wicked, why then labor I in vain? Pull on this verse. I shall be wicked or guilty, to wit before thee. Whether I be holy or wicked, if I dispute with thee, I shall be found guilty. Why should I trouble myself with clearing mine innocency, seeing God will still hold me guilty, end quote. This is one of the charges that Elihu makes against Job, that he had said that it profiteth nothing to try and be a righteous man. Job 34, 9, For he hath said, Elihu speaking to Job, it profiteth a man nothing that he should delight himself with God. Sinners thus will often take the stance, which is a cop-out, by the way, that since they are sinners, why should they labor to be anything different? This is hardly a strong argument for choosing to remain ungodly, but one that is commonly used by those content with their ungodliness. Verse 30 now. If I wash myself with snow water and make my hands never so clean, yet shalt thou plunge me in the ditch, and mine own clothes shall abhor me. Such is the state of victimization that men will claim that even if they wash themselves, then God would still find them dirty. No doubt the labor that Job referred to in verse 29 was the labor of cleansing himself.
so twisted had become Job's view of God that he believed that even if he washed himself, God would still plunge him into a ditch. Many an unsaved, a non-baptized man has held this same belief, that though he has endeavored to cleanse himself, either with good works or whatever other virtuous actions he believes himself to have done, still God deems him as unrighteous. But what is lost is the divine revelation that man cannot clean himself. That for a man to be clean before God, then the Lord must make him that way. Thus for any to be saved and cleansed from sin, it is faith in God that must be exercised and not faith in self. Regardless of the amount of time we may spend washing ourselves without God's Spirit entering and sanctifying us, we shall remain unclean. 1 Corinthians 6.11 And such were some of you, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Verse 32 now. For he is not a man as I am, Job says, that I should answer him, and we should come together in judgment. Neither is there any daysman betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both. Job again makes appeal that he wished he could have his day in court. He hopes for a daysman, or as the commentary suggests, an umpire, arbiter, a mediator. Little did Job know at this time that Elihu would become exactly this. Elihu's ministry, though, would not be one that helped Job plead his case to God, but instead Elihu would bring God's case to Job, teaching us that God will answer men's prayers, just not always the way they think that He should. It is true, men need an arbiter, and Jesus Christ is just this for the sinner. For in Him forgiveness is found, where it never could be in ourselves. The Lord Jesus is man's advocate with God, that all men need to stand righteous before God. To understand this is to begin to move towards receiving God's salvation. Simply because for men to stand righteous before the Lord, a mediator is needed to intercede on their behalf for sin. 1 Timothy 2.5 For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus is the mediator between God and man, so that if a man wants to stand righteous before God, then Christ must stand with him. In Christ, then, men can be made righteous, whereas through themselves they never could be. Verse 34 now. Let him take his rod away from me, and let not his fear terrify me. Job, still speaking in regards to a mediator, realizes that if he had one, his fear of God would dissipate, and he would be free from the dread of God's justice. Job, therefore, demonstrates some awareness that though he claimed innocence before God without a mediator between him and God, his fear would not leave. What is true of Job is true of every man, that without Jesus as a mediator between us and God and for our sin, then a dreadful fear of God will remain. For no man can find peace with the Lord, absent the Son of God acquiring it for him. Colossians 1.19 For it pleased the Father that in him, Jesus Christ, should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him, 
to reconcile all things unto himself by him, again Christ. I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, it is thus only Jesus who can take away the fear of punishment. Only faith in Jesus, God's Son, who can quiet a heart of sin to no longer fear. Until then men come to believe upon the Son of God, terror shall fill their hearts when they realize that they shall have to give an account for their sins. Verse 35 now. Then would I speak and not fear him, but it is not so with me. How important is this lesson still needed to be taught today? That fear of judgment can only be removed if there is a sincere and confident belief in he whom God has determined should reconcile us to God. If a man then comes to believe in Jesus, the torment of being unworthy of God will be removed. And instead of fearing God's judgments, the believer can set his eyes on God's blessings promised through Christ. With a mediator, and only a mediator, therefore can a fear of God's judgments be removed. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Amen.